Well, let's go back to our series in First uh, John chapter number two. If you'll take your Bibles and join me there, First John chapter two. It's good to see the students back after a Thanksgiving break. They've got just this uh, this week and next, and then they'll be on a Christmas break. And so. Thankful God um, watched over those of you that traveled, both students as well as, uh, of course, members here that traveled for the holiday. We're glad to have you back, of course. And uh, good, as we already mentioned, good to have a guest here with us. I did want to mention this as well. had the opportunity, uh, along with some others, to go and be a part of the ordination service last uh, night for Nathan Heckel in uh, Henrietta, Oklahoma, uh, where the Calvary Baptist Church is being planted. It's exciting. It really is. I mean, they really made a lot of progress on the building and, and people there. They're excited about it. Um, the building at one time was an elementary school, and then a life church bought it and changed it, and now it's a real church. <laughs> so anyways, pretty excited about that. Pretty excited about that. All right, 1 John chapter 2. We better get to preaching. I guess that was preaching. All right, 1 John chapter 2. <laughs> All right, um, we're going to look at verses uh, 12, 13, and 14. Those are going to be our, our verses. And so I believe we'll just for the sake of time, we'll just get right to it and reading those. I'd like to read a little bit of the context, but uh, that's what we'll use as review to do and get into it here again. It's been a little bit. I think it was um, November the 2nd that maybe we were in First um, John. So it's been a little while with all that's going on with um, guest preachers, of course, which we've enjoyed, and then also holidays. So here we are in First John. We'll do uh, tonight, God willing, next Wednesday night as well. All right, verse 12, chapter 2. I write unto you, little children... Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. You say, I think he just said that. He did. He said it again. I write unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. All right, that's it. And then it gets into <laughs> verses uh, 15 through 17, which we don't have time to cover for sure tonight. We'll get started on it next, next time. But right now, we'll just, we'll just look at this. You've got little children, you've got fathers, and you've got young men that are mentioned. Now, obviously, um, it would include the ladies as well. So those older ladies and young ladies and then children... Uh, Age-wise, maybe, but we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that here as we consider this passage. Okay, here's the title tonight. The Battle for Christian Maturity Within the Local Church. The Battle for Christian Maturity Within the Local Church. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. Let's, uh, let's give these important verses careful consideration. 
I'm sure you heard it just like I did. What are you going to be when you grow up? How many of you heard that all throughout life, right? What are you going to be? You're still hearing it. Some adults still hearing it, right? What are you going to be when you, you're wondering yourself, what am I going to be, right? What are you going to be when you grow up? Well, uh, kids hear that, you know, in the process of growing up. And it's generally about, you know, what your occupation is going to be. Um, adults are inclined to ask it. You know, it's one of those questions when you're a kid, you think, I'm never going to ask. I'm not going to ask that when I'm, when I'm an adult. And then you end up asking somebody, you know, I mean, just, it just continues on because uh, you're curious. You, you're wanting to say, what do you, what do you think? What are you going to be when you grow up? Teenagers want to, or young people want to avoid the question sometimes, you know, and being put on the spot. It's not a bad question, but in many ways, uh, it's missing the major point because the major point is not what your occupation's going to be. Even more important than that, and that's not to minimize the importance of a person's occupation, what you do, what you're called to do, what you're gifted to do, but even more than all of our occupations or what we are called to do, even more important than that is your character, the depth of your character and, and the um, steadfastness of your life. And, and that you have the character to make it through the winds and the storms that come your way. Alexander McLaren caught it uh, years ago as he studied this passage. In fact, he was um, thinking about young people studying, stepping out of the irresponsibilities of childhood and into youth. But unfortunately, he said, this question about what are you going to be when you grow up is really missing the point. And that is what got me thinking about it. And I think he's right on to do that. He says, um, he says, for the misery and the reason that a failure of so many lives is simply that people have never fairly looked that question in terms of uh, what are you really going to be, who you're going to be, what's your character going to be. They've never really faced that question and tried to answer it, but just drift and drift and let circumstances determine what they're going to be. He said, and of course, in a world like this, now he said this uh, many decades ago, he said, in a world like this, such people are sure to turn out with an immense a number, I'm sorry, in a world like this, such people are sure to turn out what such an immense number of people do turn out, failures as it turns, as it is with God before God and what they ever were intended to be by God. And in other words, you, you can't just go through this life without a very clear picture as to what God wants you to be and just kind of drift through life and see what happens. It's a dangerous approach to life. Uh, John, as he's writing this section, it's some, some even say, well, this is an aside here, but, but really it's right in the flow of thought uh, of where he has been and where he's going and even what's coming up in, in verses uh, 15, 16, and 17 as he thinks about the pull of the world. Because listen, if, if we don't have our minds settled ahead of time, the world will pull you away. And so he's concerned about them. He's concerned about 
what has happened, what's going on, some of the circumstances that they've been through as a, as a church family, and, and of course, some of those that had left the church. It was really disheartening. It was really discouraging. So he's, I believe in these verses here, he's writing, he's kind of, he's, he, he's in many ways just kind of putting it on pause right here, and he's saying, now, now wait a minute, let, let me just talk to you a minute, little children, and let me, let me just talk to you a minute here, uh, uh, men, uh, fathers, let me talk to you here just a minute, young men. And, and so he's trying to encourage them because of what they've been through and also what they're going to face. So they have the maturity. What had happened is uh, some had left due to doctrinal error. And those left behind were left to think, what, are, are we in the wrong? Because we're sticking with what others like John and Paul and others had taught us here in, in that area of Asia Minor and so forth. Are, are, are we in error here? And, and so they needed to be fortified in their faith. And my soul, we've just had a good time as we've gotten into, into 1 John and just seeing the doctrinal content of it as he just, he just hits it right off the bat. That which was from the beginning, which we have, which we have uh, heard, which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Because the doctor, some of the doctrinal error was related to this. They were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. John says, wait a minute, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. He did indeed come in the flesh. So he said, don't be swayed by these that have left. Just stay with what you've been taught. And so another thing that was going on was the uh, moral impurity that then was filling their lives because those that left had a very low view on sin and didn't think that was a big deal. And so they said, yeah, I'm in fellowship with God. And all the while they weren't doing what God said. And John says, wait a minute, God's not okay with that because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So you can't say that you have fellowship with God and yet you're living in secret sin or living in open sin. You can't say that you're right with God. And that's what John is, is clearing off a spot and just saying very boldly that, listen, don't be swayed by those who maybe refer back to you as being too narrow-minded because, listen, you're on the right page if you're trying to apply holiness to your life. That's what John is, is getting across to them. But you might imagine that all that had gone on had really left them uh, maybe disillusioned and, and discouraged and needing just a little bit of encouragement in the midst of their Christian lives. Certainly, that was the case. And so he's getting into it. And let me just review here just ever so briefly. He's saying, now, let, now wait a minute. Evidence of having a real walk with God is going to be that you're keeping his commandments. That's going to be one of the evidences of that is that you're really trying to take the word and apply it to your life. Another evidence would be this, and this is what we covered last time that we were in it, and, and we were talking about um, how that if, if you're truly in Christ, then you have a love for your fellow brother. I mean, it's, you're grateful to get to be around your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a love that is evident, and, and so they, they were manifesting, those that had left were manifesting a really hateful disposition towards John. Well, I mean, if you, if you have problems with a beloved disciple... I wonder who the problem's with. And so they had a problem with John. They had a problem with people in the church. And so John was saying, um, listen, the love of God is not in them. And evidently the life of God is not in them. And they're yet in darkness. So he's, he's building that case. He's getting to that. We'll come to back, back to that uh, on into the series. But here what he said thus far is that walking in the light of God's word is going to lead you to love God's people God's way. 
And that's why we're studying this passage. But here, what we're looking at in these verses is their need to be fortified in the faith because of all that confusion that was going on. And I mean, you know how it is. Maybe somebody that you've invested in has left or somebody that you love, somebody that was a member of the church has left. It can leave you confused. It can leave you discouraged. It can leave you disheartened. And, and uh, which by the way, by the way, while we're on it, while we're on it, before you leave, you ought to think about how it's going to affect your church family. Because it's not just going to affect you. It's going to have a ripple effect to other lives. So John is, is dealing with many of these things. And he's talking about the encouragement that they need for the ongoing and upcoming spiritual battles that they most certainly would face. And he's breaking it, into, uh, breaking it down into three categories. Little children, fathers, young men. Now, before we move on, um, if you uh, look at those three categories, everybody in the church needed encouragement. Fathers, uh, young men, and children. So, I mean, uh, there's some discussion. The reason I'm, I'm kind of uh, easing into this a little bit is because there's discussion about, okay, so what, what's he talking about here? Is he, is he talking about age groups within the church? Is it like little children? And, and then is it young men, like maybe in the youth department, in the college and career age? In fact, when you look the word uh, young men up, then it's, it's going uh, to have to do with those that are about 24 years old to about 40 years old. So I was really sad today to realize <laughs> that I was out of that age bracket. But in my mind, I'm still in that young man category. But, but anyways, uh, so you got children, you got young men, and you got fathers. All right. So is it, is it those age categories or is it levels of spiritual maturity? And we'll, we'll get to that, but let me just, let me just say this. Hey, listen, all of God's people, regardless of how long they've been saved and how old that they are, need the spiritual nourishment that comes from God's word. Don't ever get in your mind. Well, I've been in church long enough. I don't think I need Wednesday night. You're in a dangerous spot. You're in a dangerous spot right there. Don't get in your mind, well, I, I, I think I've had enough church. I think I've studied enough Bible. Do you know as much as God? Are you solid? Are you that solid? I mean, really? I mean, it, it, people, it, it, it's easy. Wait a minute. I, I, I'm concerned because I, I've seen even some longtime members of Southwest Baptist Church kind of starting to. That's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not good for your spiritual life. I, in, in fact, it's, it's not, it's, by the way, it's not just about your spiritual life. You've got to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of this congregation. That, that Listen, if you are in that category of father, you're over 40 years old. Okay, so um, <laughs> I guess I could have all those that are over 40 years old stand up, but let, let's not go there. All right. Um, but if you're in that category, listen, this, this thing about spiritual growth and development is not just about you and your life, but because you are in that category, God wants to use you to help some that are in that young man or young woman category. And it may be that, and I realize I'm preaching to the choir here tonight, and I mean, it's a Wednesday night crowd, but, but every Wednesday night there's people here that are struggling. Isn't that right? 
And there may be people watching by live stream that, that really ought to be here. I'm, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody, but I just want to cause you to something. Think that, listen, this thing about the spiritual life is not just about you and your comfort and where you are, but you're supposed to be reaching back to those that are young men and even to those that are children. And it may be that this church becomes an immature spiritually, a spiritually mature church because you, as a father of this church, you're not doing what you ought to be doing. All right, now that's not in my notes, but it should have been. I'm just simply saying that, that this has a ripple effect. If you're in that older category and you're just kind of on cruise, I wonder what the next 10 to 15 to 20 years is going to be like at Southwest Baptist Church. If they look at your example and they don't see fervency and they don't see spiritual growth, but they see some kind of a lackadaisical, laid back, kind of, I'm kind of just on my way out kind of mode. Whoa, wait a minute. Where are we going to be? We'll have anemic Christians. So what we need is, is for those that are in that father category to invest in those that are in that young man category so that they too can invest in those that are in that children category. It's just making sense to you here. All right, so, so it's, it's for everybody. That's what I'm trying to say. Encouragement is needed by every single child of God. All right, by the way, by the way, some say, well, maybe this is, you know, little children. He uses that in chapter 2 and verse number 1, chapter 2 and verse number 18 or so, chapter uh, 4 and verse number 4, and chapter 5 and verse number 21. I mean, he uses little children all throughout, two different terms that are used in, uh, in, in these verses. In chapter uh, 2 and verse 12, it's one term, and then he actually uses a different term for children. It's translated in English, children, children. And, and so, but that term, are you following what I'm saying right there? Did everybody follow that? It's two different Greek terms, but one of them is, is a term for like one that begets a child, and so it has to do with that, and the other has to do with raising a child, you know, the word from which we get like uh, uh, teaching and training and so forth. So there's two different terms that are used there, but he uses it about all believers is the point. My little children, my little children, my little children. How many times has he said that already? My little children. So some say, well, that applies to everybody. And it does, and it does, but because he breaks it down further and he says little children, young men, and then, I'm sorry, little children, fathers, and young men, evidently he's got a little bit of a different angle on it right here in these few, three verses that we're looking at. When he says my little children, now, I want to say this as well. You say, man, you got a lot to say along the way of whatever you're going to say. Right, just bear with me here, okay? Um, every single one of us ought to first of all think of ourselves as a little child. I have to fight the tendency to think of myself as pastor first. I'm so inclined because, Brother Brandon, so much of my life is consumed with being a pastor. And I love it. I thank God. I, I was trying to preach last night and, and giving a charge. And I just told the congregation there. And I'm telling you tonight, I love being a pastor. But listen, I can't think of myself. First of all, in fact, I learned this from my pastor emeritus now, Brother Sam Davison, that, that's here tonight, that I've heard him say that I, I can't think of myself as a pastor first. I've got to think of myself as a child of God. Because if you get to thinking about yourself as a pastor or as a teacher or as a deacon or as a bus captain, or as assistant pastor, or as a youth pastor, or a college and career pastor, or whatever it else, these titles can be, somehow we can, we can miss in our hearts and our minds that I need just as much the grace of God as any other child of God does. 
And so I am first, and you are, if you're saved tonight, you're first and foremost of all a child of God. In fact, in many ways, there's, in, in every way, there is no higher status than just simply being his son or being his daughter. You'll never reach any higher than that. Because he's the one that adopted you as a son. He's the one that adopted you as a daughter. He chose you. He made you his child, dear friend. Don't ever forget that. So this does indeed apply to, to every, every, everyone and, and such. But I, I, do think that there's, um, I do think that there's a breakdown in, in terms of the church congregation. And I'm inclined to think that it has to do with age categories, but I'm more inclined even to think that it does have to do with their spiritual level of maturity that may actually be somewhat of an overlap. Because of this, it ought to be such that if you're going from being a child to being an adult and you grow up in church, your age and your physical growth ought to coincide, or rather your spiritual growth ought to coincide with your physical growth. If you've been in church for 20 and 30 and 40 years and you're still at the level spiritually that you were when you were 10? No offense. None taken. Thank you. Something's wrong. So John is saying to them, listen, I, I want to implore you, little children. I want you to remember this. Okay, so, so six times he says, I write unto you or I've written unto you. And he, six different times he says, because. I write to you 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 because. I've written to you because. I've written to you because. He, he's say, saying that six different times. Also here in this chapter, in these three verses, he uses the perfect tense of the word. Now we just used, we just used that terminology on Sunday about how that Jesus said, you, your sins are forgiven. The perfect tense of that Greek verb means this. It's an action that took, past, took place in the past that has ongoing results. Okay? So six different times in these three verses, he says to them, little children, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Little children, ye have, ye have known. Do you see it? Ye have known the Father. A, a father's... He says twice, mate, the same thing. He says twice, ye have known him which is from the beginning. Now that harkens back to chapter 1, that which was from the beginning. So he's saying, listen, as a father in that church, as, a, as an older believer in that church, you've known the Lord Jesus Christ for a long time. You've known him from the beginning. That is from the beginning. And then he says to the, young, to the young men, he says, ye have overcome the wicked one. Did you see it? Is that how it is in your Bible? Ye have overcome. Is that it? Ye have overcome. Ye have overcome. But then he says, but ye are strong because the word of God abides in you. That's present tense. Okay. Did I lose anybody? Raise your hand if I lost anybody. Oh, man, we're getting out early tonight. This is wonderful. Okay. So what's he saying all this for? Well, because they've been through a real confusing time in their life, and they're about to go back into the world every single day, every single week, and they're going to be bombarded with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Every single day. And Satan's going to try to bring them down, just like Freddie's trying to bring you down. And, and they, need, they need to be fortified in their faith. 
So let me, let me get a little bit of help here. Brentley, I already asked you if you'd, you mind to help me. Brentley's 10 years old. If you'd just come and stand maybe right, right, right here, be fine. All right. Um, yeah, that, that'd be great. Samuel, if you'd come, okay. All right, and um, I need somebody over 40. <laughs> Brother Bill, you want to do it? <laughs> you looked happy too. <laughs> so uh, you come stand right here. Brother Bill, you stand right over here. Thank you. Brother Bill, how long have you been a member of Southwest Baptist Church? Uh, roughly 90, 90, 98, 20, almost 25 years. Is that right? 98, since 1998? Took a break. Don, yeah, yeah. Miss Donna, is that right? Got to check things out no, here. She, yeah, she, she's been here for She's like been here a long time. 85 yeah. years. 85, 85 years? What are you talking about? Okay. About <laughs> <laughs> to get him in trouble. I better move away from him. <laughs> Bill's very kind to us when we first moved here to Oklahoma City. He had a rental house. We moved in that rental house. Just We hit it off right off the bat. Just thankful for faithful men and women. Ms. Donna, raise your hand here. How many, how, many, uh, how many Heartland students have you adopted through the years? He knows more than that. How many is that, Brother Bill? Adopted. Yeah, yeah. Actual Official. Adoption. About, I think it's 55. 55. How many of you had come through the home? Over 300. Over 300, okay. So 300 students coming through the house. Not all at one time. So would you say there's some, and please, I know he's not going to be comfortable with this, nor would anybody that I asked to come up here that has tried to walk with God any length of time. In fact, if I brought anybody up here and I said, you know, there's some spiritual maturity here and they kind of bowed up and said, yeah, that's right. I'd ask them to sit back down. <laughs> but there's, there's some spiritual depth here that has come through the word being preached for many years and a walk with God and a husband and wife that have tried to love people God's way through bus ministry and bringing special needs children into their home and through the ups and downs of life. Can I say it this way? There's some depth here. And, I, and I'm glad to tell you tonight I could bring a lot of folks up here that would be in that same category. Over here, Bentley, 10 years old. Isn't that right? 10 years old. Fourth grade? Fifth grade. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fifth grade. Man, ahead of your times. That may be where you are. <laughs> Ten years old, I don't remember. Ten years old. He's growing up here, got a good godly mom and dad, doesn't he? Being taught the Word. Uh, trying to be in the Word. Sits up here, has his Bible open, pays attention. Doesn't go to sleep too often. It's awesome. <laughs> Doing good, man. Thankful for you. Samuel. Bill Samuel's... Uh, I've got him in class right now. He's actually helping out here at Southwest Baptist Church, doing some work around the property. He drives a real big truck. I mean, he's... <coughs> you can look at him and see he's got some issues, but, other, I mean, really, he's, he's doing all right. Thankful for Samuel. Am I right? Yeah. yeah am I right? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, now, now here, let me get to it. John says, little children. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but just as a little child... Little children. And again, I think he's speaking to adults as well. That's right. Probably new believers. Yes, sir. So I could, I could ask a new believer to come up here as well, you know, that maybe just got saved within the last two to three years or so. How can a new believer go from where they are right here to being where they've been in church now for 25, 30 years, 40 years? How do they get there? Little children, first of all, it's got to start right here. Your sins are forgiven. That's right. You're not going to get anywhere in life until you... Oh, 
mercy. There's a lot of preaching right here. You're not, you're gonna, not going to make that progress in your spiritual life if you don't have that matter settled in your heart and mind that your sins are, perfect tense, are forgiven for His name's sake. It's not even for your sake. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Now, you'll be blessed by that. You'll be helped by that. But you're not going to grow spiritually to get here if you don't have settled in your heart and mind that your sins are forgiven. And drop down a couple verses when he says that you, little children, ye have known the Father. Your sins are gone and you got a relationship with God. Now you can grow. Man, isn't that awesome? Your sins are forgiven and you've got a relationship with God. Now you can grow. And then he says, and ye fathers, you have known him which is from the beginning. And he says, young men, you have overcome the wicked one. What he's saying here is that, listen, in the process of spiritual growth, there is going to be battles with the adversary and the things that represent the adversary and the spiritual opposition and the discouragement that come in life. But listen, look what he said again. He says this, ye have overcome. Not in your own power, not in your own mind, not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, not in your own personality, not in who you are, but in Christ Jesus, you've seen some spiritual victory. So don't stop now, just keep growing. Just keep going. Because the only way that you're going to get here from when you're just maybe a brand new believer to here where you're a seasoned believer, a seasoned saint, is you've got to do time right here. In fact, most of, John's, most of John's attention is right here on this category. Because if those that are growing spiritually through church don't trust Christ and get victory in their life at this 20 to 40 year stage of life, they won't be here when they're 41 to 80-something. And we're just one generation away from losing what we've had. And that's why it's so vitally important that that generation and that generation takes time to help this generation And I tell you what will happen. The fire, the fervency, the excitement of this generation will refire this generation. Well, he doesn't need a whole lot of firing up, but this generation might need it. Does that make sense? But as he sees him growing and sees him fighting and sees him trying to live a godly life, even as a young young man in an ungodly society and trying to raise a godly family, then that will encourage both him and him to do what is right. So much right, it's right here, Southwest Baptist Church. And there are many in this category that are here. There are many that are in this category, and there are many that are in this category. That's a wonderful balance that a church can have. But listen, I, I believe that we're in danger of losing this generation. It could be because that generation is slacking off. And it could be that this generation is saying, what's the use, man? Come on. 
You don't understand how hard it is to try to live for God as a teenager. You don't understand how hard it is to try to live for God as a young adult. You, you don't get how many pressures that are there. No, we will get it because it's coming in chapter uh, 2 and verse 15, 16, and 17. It's all right there. They faced it back then just like we do now. This is the battle. The battle for spiritual maturity in the local church. And how do we win it? We live out what's already true. Just live out, live out, live out what's already true. What's already true? You're forgiven for his name's sake. You know him, you know the father. Uh, you've known him from the beginning. That's the age, the older time here, but right here. Actually, you know this, that through Christ, the victory's already won. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. But there is a part that we have in here that's present tense, and we must still continue to overcome. Is this making sense to everybody right here? But look what it also says, I believe it in verse number 13 or verse number 14, where it says this, that you are strong. You see that? What verse is that, Brother Stephen? 14. You are strong. Look at Samuel. You're strong. <laughs> Spiritually. Because there's a lot of young men that are strong physically that are not strong spiritually. Come on. There's a lot of young ladies that are strong physically in this world's appearances, in this world's glamour, in this world's everything else. But they're not strong spiritually. How? Okay, wait a minute. He said that you are strong. He's commending them. You are strong. Why were they strong? Well, the next part of the verse says this, and the Word of God abides in you. Isn't that right? Present tense. So what happens is, is that as you live out what's already true, and you have a steady intake of the Word of God in you, then it makes you strong to continue to overcome. But if you stop taking in the Word, you get weak and you get overcome. And it doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been in church. What's going to happen is you're going to flake out because of the disappointment and the disillusion and the confusion that other people left. Why? What's going on? Maybe I don't need to be in this independent fundamental Baptist church. And you get weak on your convictions. And you begin to say, well, maybe we don't have the Word of God. And maybe we, we can accept baptisms other than a Baptist baptism. And maybe Lord's Supper could be taken by whoever. And maybe, maybe charismatic theology is okay. And maybe life church is all good. And maybe we ought to have a little bit more entertainment going on in here. And you get real weak and anemic. You either get in a church that's loose or you get out of church completely. Because the Word's not in you. And you're not strong. And you're not going to make it here. She was really weak and frail in a lot of ways. But she was spiritually strong. You never had to wonder, I wonder if Miss Bertha Glover is going to be in church while she was physically able. She was here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Sunday, Sunday school back there in the back with her clipboard in hand for 50 years taking role in the Southwest Bible class. 50 years. 5-0. 50 years. 
I told the folks yesterday, I said, you know, sometimes I get in a conversation with her because she kind of liked to pick on her pastor and such, you know, and a lot of people have that spiritual gift. And, and, and so she would be one of those. And she, she, if she knew how to whisper, she forgot because during the song service, she'd get to talking and we, I would try to end the conversation quick. But she had a depth to her, making sure we had coffee out there every Saturday morning. Amen. Biscuits and gravy, gravy being poured on heavy. Uh, amen. Now we're talking. <laughs> huh? I didn't have to worry. We didn't have to worry. I wonder if she's going to be in her place or not. No, she was there every week. Thank God for that. You know what we need? Some more Miss Bertha Glovers. May not be known by this world but known by our God. How'd she get there? She knew her sins were forgiven. She knew the Father. By the grace of God, she was an overcomer through Christ. She got the Word in her and lived it out in her life so that she became like a tree. You kind of have a sapling, medium-sized tree, then an oak. What do you think? Been in the John Muir woods in the San Francisco Bay area of California. And the John Muir woods has the red, oak, the red oak trees. Not the sequoias, but the red oaks. The coastal red oaks. Trees 275 feet tall. Some of them 300 feet tall the further north you go. It's interesting. And you'll see big, tall... This is kind of out of whack here. <laughs> there you go. Okay, good. Thanks. For the... <laughs> right on cue. Big, tall trees. Medium-sized tree and then small trees. And the interesting thing is that they actually don't have a taproot. So the roots don't go real deep, which that kind of messes up an illustration because I thought, man, I wanted to go deep. But here's how they grow so tall. Their root systems are so inner wind, that they draw from the same nutrients. And in the storms, they're so tied together that the big tree is helping the medium-sized tree, and the medium-sized tree is helping the little tree, and they all just stay together, come what may. That is a local church. Young and old alike, standing together with our roots intertwined, Drawing from the same nutrients in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He'll help us stand through any storm that comes our way. The battle for Christian maturity is on. I've been sensing it. I've been feeling it for many years now. And I guess till Jesus comes again, it always will be part of our existence. But that's why we've got to train them in peewee and patch and the elementary classes, don't you minimize one second that what you're doing as a Sunday school teacher is not significant. Don't you minimize that grandparents and parents, what you're doing is so highly significant because you're getting them ready to overcome right here. And those that work with young people and college age, don't you underestimate what God is using you to do because you, you're helping people to grow to the next stage. And those of the, that work with the senior adults, oh my soul, you're doing such an important work. Well, we're in this all together through the storm. Let's pray together. Thank you all.
Heavenly Father, um, you're calling us to Christian maturity. You've prepared us for it. You've forgiven us of our sins. You've allowed us to know you through Christ. In Christ, we're more than conquerors. It is so vitally important that the word abides in us so that we might be spiritually strong and to continue to resist and not give in when we get discouraged and disillusioned and not to give in to temptation when it comes heavy. God, I pray that you'd raise up a new generation right here at Southwest of men and women that'll walk with you daily. Help us to have, Lord, the root system that is that New Testament root system that's rooted in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together here tonight.